What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 119 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders, find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today we continue our fun fall of 2021, sitting down with Super Bowl champion, former NFL player, Chris Maragos. Chris took a crazy road in his travel to the National Football League, walked on at Western Michigan, transferred to the University of Wisconsin, and then ended up as an undrafted free agent in the NFL and ended up playing 92 games in his career with two Super Bowls with the Seahawks and the Eagles. What I love about Chris's story is Chris made his mark on the field and off the field. He led with his faith out in front. There are some truths and some nuggets and principles you're going to hear from Chris today that are so good. If you're a coach, this is one that you're probably going to want to sit down and listen to with some leaders on your team because it is absolute gold. After Chris's career finished, he continues to stay active, running his camps, also hosted an incredible podcast called The Mission of Truth, which you can find in the show notes with Nick Foles. And it is so good as they delve into the life of faith and sports and football. Today, you are in for a treat. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation about leading on and off the field with Chris Maragos. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me in this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you, buddy. Oh, man, it is great to be on with you. Uh, it's, man, truly humbled and great to share some time with you. So your story is amazing. Park High School to Horlick, walk on at Western Michigan, go to the University of Wisconsin, walk on, right. earn a scholarship undrafted at NFL, and then you end up playing not only nine years in the NFL, but you end up playing in two Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. Is it hard to look back and go, holy smokes, that was my story? What's it feel like for you? Uh, it's it, sometimes, you know, when you start talking about it, you're like, man, did that really happen? You know, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of an unorthodox way. And, and, you know, gosh, sometimes I look back and I go, man, the only way you could ever think like something like that could happen in such miraculous, uh, you know, circumstances it would just be pointing to the goodness of God and mm -hmm. really just the grace that he's, you know, given me in my life. And, and, uh, man, I just feel really fortunate to be in those situations. And yeah, it's just, it's been unbelievable. <laughs> you know, you know, people see it, Chris, and they go, okay, you got two Super Bowl rings. You played it at a your dream school as a little boy who grew up in Wisconsin, being right. a Badger is a dream up there, oh, dream. Yep. man what do people not know about your journey? What are, yeah. what are some of the points of your journey that they see the mountaintops, but they don't see some of the valleys. What are sure. some of those things that you walk through other people wouldn't know? Man, I, that's a great question, Mike. You know, it, it's, it, it's those moments when you're, you're up late at night in college and you're thinking, man, could I even play at this university? Mm -hmm. Or when I leave Western Michigan to go to Wisconsin and you're just so scared about the unknowns and stepping out in faith, knowing that the doors are opening and this is where you should go. And this is what you should be doing, but just the unknowns and the uncertainties of all the things ahead that lie. Um, and those, those doubts that creep in or those, all those things that, you know, you're feeling those emotions and uh, it's, it's a lot of times a lonely place to be, uh, you know, even, even those times when you're in leadership roles, throughout my career, it's a, it's a lot of times a lonely place to be because you got to stand out in front. You got to stand in the gap. You got to do things that maybe aren't the popular decision, or you got to carry loads and weights that maybe aren't 
necessarily the ones that you, you want to do, but you pick up those burdens because you know, that's your responsibility. So those moments where there's uncertainty or, you know, you're feeling those different things that, that are difficult to deal with. Uh, you know, those are really the, the moments that people see the, the two Super Bowls won and the, the, the NFL and all the great accolades, but I tell you what, man, so many moments along the roads, uh, it was just so very difficult. How close did you come to going, man, I, this just isn't worth it. You know, I'm trying to earn a scholarship. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make the team. We'll get in the whole undrafted piece of this here in a second. Mm-hmm. How close did you come to waving the white flag going, man, I, I, I can't do this. Oh man. Well, the first day I show up in college, I, I remember sitting after the practice and thinking to myself, man, I just don't know if I'm cut out to make it here. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, I remember sitting in my locker going, boy, I tell you what, you know, maybe this just isn't quite for me. And uh, subsequently when you made the transition to Wisconsin, it's even a higher jump than it was yeah. at Western Michigan. And then of course the NFL and, you know, just those moments where you're sitting there and reality is kind of hitting you and you just feel like overwhelmed in, in a lot of capacities and you feel unarmed and, 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 you know, uh, unequipped in all those moments. And, you know, I think those are those times where you really got to dig deep and you got to, you got to rely on the techniques and the, and the hard work that you put in to build that confidence uh, to know that, you know, I am supposed to be here and this is a tough time, but I'll get through it. And I got to just continue to just do the little things uh, and not look up at the big things that are going on around me, but do the little things to, to put me in a position to hopefully have success. As a little boy growing up was, or did you end up doing what was your dream as a little boy growing up in Wisconsin? Did you see yourself running when you were playing in your yard? Did you see yourself being a badger and playing the NFL? Was that a dream that you had? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, a young kid, you know, growing up, I can remember we would have Saturday morning uh, peewee football games and, you know, our games would be at eight or nine in the morning and we'd get done and we'd drive up to Madison, Wisconsin, and we'd walk with the band uh, to Camp Randall Stadium and, and we'd go watch the game. And I can just remember thinking, man, this would be so cool to play at. This would be unbelievable to have the opportunity to do it. And of course, you know, like a dream, you know, it's, you know, do you really think it's a reality until I started getting kind of to high school and, you know, started excelling a little bit, but I always, always was working toward those things mm-hmm. and it kind of always had a vision of what I wanted to do and hopefully could obtain, but uh, man, for it to come true, it's, it's a lot of times you look back and, and, and you think, man, you know, gosh, a lot of that cool stuff happened, but it almost seems like a little bit of a dream almost. I you bet. Know? <laughs> For sure. What were, some, what were some things your parents put in you when you were little yeah. that helped you be ready for that journey ahead? What were some of the things they deposited in your life just by being good parents? They weren't trying to get you the NFL. They were no. just trying to be good parents to mm-hmm. raise a great son. What were some of the things they did that you said, man, they paid huge dividends in my life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, man, that's a great question. You know, my mom, I can remember being in high school and middle school. My mom would get up at like 4.30 in the morning and she would cook breakfast for our whole football team. And we'd go and we'd do strength training before school. So school starts at 7.30. So we'd be in there at 6.30 a.m. when I was at Park High School and Horlick High School. And my mom would make breakfast huge, like egg platters and pancakes and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And I can remember just thinking, man, like I I would get up in the morning. I'd be rolling out of bed, you know, trying to get to workouts. And my mom would be up and she's doing stuff. And I can just remember seeing the hard work and the commitment. She never Mm. missed a day. Mm. And, um, but I saw a leadership there in a roundabout way because she was putting in work behind the scenes and more kids were showing up for the workouts and that was helping the overall betterment of the team. And so I thought always to myself, man, you know, here, here's my mom doing some work that's allowing it to be a lower barrier of entry for a lot of kids to come to do workouts that quite frankly, maybe they wouldn't want to do. And so she made that sacrifice um, to allow it to be easier for other people. And because of that, the team was better. Um, and so I can, that was really a distinct thing that I can remember growing up. And then for my father, uh, my dad was uh, all my practices, all my games, everything that he was about. And I can always remember us being out in the front yard. We had a little cul-de-sac, uh, area and he was standing in our driveway and I'd run in that cul-de-sac area, cul-de-sac area. And I'd go back and forth, you know, kind of laterally and he, and I'd run and he'd throw it straight right into me and I'd, I'd run. And every time I caught it, he always 
you know, told me, Hey, if it touches one of your hands, you got to catch it. If it touches your hands, you catch it. And so that was, that was the game that we call, we, we call it, you touch it, you catch it. So if it touched my hands, I had to catch it. And if it was in, you know, in a range that I could actually do it, he always made me catch it with my, with my hands. I could, could never mm. let me catch it with my body. Wow. And I can just remember, you know, thinking and kind of instilling at me at a young age, like, look, just doing the work isn't good enough. It's doing it with the intent to be great. And so for me, you know, catching it with my body. Yeah. Okay. It's a catch, right? Like that's great. You caught the ball, but catching the ball with your hands is really what, what you're looking for. That's like mastering your craft. And so those things were instilled at me at a young age to do the things the right way to not cut corners and, uh, you know, really help propel me all the way, you know, throughout my career. You know, I, I was listening to you yesterday on another podcast, and you were sharing a little bit of your story of leaving Western Michigan. Coach had made some promises, wasn't keeping the promises, right. and you were a, a college free agent, and right. your brother was Bucky the Badger yep. at right. Wisconsin. Share a little bit about the story of how you ended up. This is this is crazy. Yeah. Big right. time college football. Yeah. How in the world did you end up there? Show a little bit of that story, Chris. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Well, everybody knows if you're in the recruiting world, it is crazy nowadays. You got huddles and rivals and rankings and stars and all this kind of stuff. And so much film and access and these coaches pour over every prospect. I mean, it's amazing. So I was at Western Michigan coach made some promises that he didn't keep. So I was going to transfer. There's two options. I was going to go down to Grand Valley State, transfer down divisions. I wouldn't have had to sit out a season. Or I could transfer back to the University of Wisconsin. But I needed to find a way as a kid growing up in the state. That was your dream school. So my brother was Bucky the Badger, like you said. And uh, he was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. And another guy who was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ was a guy by the name of Luke Swan. And Luke Swan was a former walk-on from Fenimore, Wisconsin. And he was now in his fourth season in the uh, program. And he was like the best player on the team, team captain. This guy was like, walk on. He's now the scholarship player, the big dog. So my brother said, hey, look, man, you know, my brother is kind of like you. Walk on from Wisconsin, you know, undersized, you know, pale skin guy. you know, (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, just, you know, trying to make it. Would you maybe take a look at his film and see what you think? And he said, sure, man, I'd love to. And we were both believers at the time I had. I had given my life to Christ when I was uh, in high school. And so Luke Swan was a, a Christian as well, too. So he said, man, I'd love to help him. And I sent, I Facebooked him, sent him a message. He gave me his address. I sent my VHS film to him uh, at his college dorm. And he took a look at it and he loved it. And he said, man, I don't think I could just help this guy. I think he could play here. And so he took it to the starting quarterback, uh, Tyler Donovan, at the time at Wisconsin. And, and he said, Hey, I just want to make sure I'm not crazy here. Would you look at this and just make sure that it's good. And he goes, man, I think this kid could play here for sure. So they go up and they take my Luke Swan takes my film up to Brett Bielema, the head coach at yeah. the university of Wisconsin. And Brett Bielema is a tremendous guy. And, and uh, he was a former walk on at Iowa. So mm. he had kind of that in his heart and he took one look at my film. And all of a sudden I got a call from Brett Bielema and I'm like, you know, Wisconsin kid growing up and the head coach of the program, your school calls me and says, Hey, look, this was like, uh, and for all you, you know, athletes and people involved in the sporting world, this was like in June or July. So right before training camp, was, I still hadn't decided where I was going. And he goes, hey, uh, whatever you're doing, uh, come to Wisconsin. I'd love to sit down with you in my office here. You know, we want you to come play for us. <laughs> I'm like, so I'm like, of course, Lord. So I take the opportunity and, and I transferred to Wisconsin. And I knew if I transferred, I would have to sit out a season because I'd already used the red shirt. Um, but the opportunity to play for my hometown team was, it was too much to pass up what is different about your life? So let's say, let's say your brother, man, he's your brother. He takes that to Luke Swan and he never passes that on. What's different about Chris Marigo's story today? If that hadn't happened, you know, there's a lot of things that would be different. There's a lot of things that would be the same. I Mm -hmm. think the things that would be different may, I, you know, without a doubt, you know, wouldn't have played in the NFL, you know, wouldn't have, you know, gone on and, and had a platform like two Super Bowls and, you know, the opportunity to do things like that. So those, those things would all be different. Um, some experiences and, and some friendships, like mm-hmm. the guys I've met along the way at Wisconsin and, and in the NFL, that would just be drastically different. I mean, gosh, some of my best friends in the world are from, you know, college in the NFL that I played football with at. So those things would be vastly different. The one thing that, you know, 
would not be different would be my, my faith in Christ and where mm-hmm. my hope and where my trust is. And regardless of the circumstances around me, regardless of the things that I've done or haven't done, um, you know, my faith in Christ would not change. And that would be the substance of who I am. That would be the identity of who I am. And, um, you know, really the, the, the core of, of, you know, my values and my beliefs. That's, that's a powerful statement, Chris, because that, that word you use identity is a big word, especially in the league you spent nine years in. Absolutely. I remember my first year with the Falcons in 2008, I met with a chaplain who'd played 12 years in the league, James Trapp with the Raiders and Ravens. Sure. And I remember Trapp saying, Mike, the biggest struggle these guys have is football is who they are. It's not yep. what they do. Right. So I, I want to walk back a little bit. You said I came to know Christ in high school. Right. Tell me a little of the story of, of not just giving your life to Christ, but giving it over. I mean, there's no doubt that he, he's got yep. all of Chris. Sure. Tell me a little of that story and how that happened. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my dad got saved in college. Uh, I had a teammate. He was a college football player at Northern Iowa. He had a teammate that witnessed to him and then he led my mom to Christ. So they, they, they were first generation believers, uh, wow. you know, really. And so they raised us in a Christian home, Bible believing church. So grateful to have that, that experience. But for me as a kid, you know, sports and, and myself was really my idol. And, uh, you know, I knew it all in my head, but I really didn't have it in my heart until I got to high school and started trying to consume more things of this world to find my satisfaction and my worth. And quite frankly, the older I got, and the more I tried, the more helpless I felt and the more broken I was until I finally gave my life to Christ. And so, you know, experimenting with drugs and drinking and friends and trying to make sports your idols, you know, I was caught selling weed and, and doing different things, vandalizing houses and trying to just, you know, be Mr. Cool, all that kind of stuff. And, and it just wasn't working. And the more I tried, it was a downward spiral. And I just kept getting more and more and more unhappy, you know, more and more sad, more and more unfilled. And, you know, not until at that moment when I really reached the bottom, when I said, okay, I've tried it all and everything that I've been doing hasn't been working. So, Instead of trying it Chris's way, let's try it Christ's way. Mm, and mm. that's really when I gave my life to Christ when I was a sophomore in high school and said, I can't do it anymore. Wave the white flag. And I gave my life to him and said, you know what? Fill me. And, and, and in those moments, you know, I, I've been growing in my faith and in my knowledge, but the Holy Spirit giving that deposit in my heart saying, mm. no, you know what? Like this is true peace and true joy. And, and because I knew where my soul was at rest for the first time. And I knew that regardless of what was happening around me, I knew what had happened inside of me and that what had happened inside of me changed uh, and it gave me life and it gave me purpose and it gave me peace for the first time in my life. And so because I felt that, I wanted to know and investigate more of what this joy and this peace that I finally had so that I could continue to walk in that. And that's really what, um, you know, that, that's really kind of how it started for me. That. I, I wonder, and just being around college athletics and professional enough, and I'm not around it every day, but enough, mm-hmm. the, the grind to be a walk-on, yes, the grind to be undrafted, and the chances are stacked against you, yep. right? I mean, it, it's not like guys just show up and go, hey, I want to walk on, and in the pros, I'm undrafted free agent. Hey, come to, come to camp, but I got all these guys in front of you. Yep if your identity had been in football, mm-hmm. how much more stress would that have added to your life? Oh, a, a lot. Well, I'll be honest with you, Mike. There's a lot of times that I, <laughs> my identity was in football and, sure. and my heart teeters. Right. Yep. I mean, yep. Cause here, here's how I feel about it. You know, my identity is in Christ. Right. But I identify with football. Great way to say it. You know, I mean, my gosh, I mean, my identity is in Christ. Yes. But I identify a lot of who I am in football. I, I, you cannot, because anybody who knows the sports world or who's in it, who or who's been in it knows that in order to survive or to make it, you have to pour everything. You have to be mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically invested in every aspect of your sport yep. at that level uh, to be able to make it. Otherwise you, you will not survive. So the demands that it takes to be great, um, and God wants us to be great and to pour those, those work ethics and efforts into them. Um, you know, it, it takes a lot, but it can't become the main thing. Mm. And so for us on a daily basis, for me personally, those moments I had to check my heart and say, okay, is my identity in this or am I just identifying in this, you know, two different, two different things. And so for me, there'd be times where I would 
find my identity and what I was doing. Okay, no, I, I got to get my heart right. And only I would know those small places of my heart and where I was giving way to those areas. And I had to keep every day staying in the word, staying in fellowship with other believers to make sure that my heart was being always led back to Christ and my identity always being driven back to him and saying, okay, this is what you've given me, this skill set, my body, my ability to think and to move and everything that I have is a blessing from you. And so I need to use that to your honor and glory, rather use that for my own and honor mm -hmm. and glory. And that's where the identity and the identifying aspect comes in. And so, you know, for me, I had to check that every day and man, I didn't do it perfect. There's a lot of times I, I had my identity in football yep. for sure, you know, and there were times where I identified with football. Um, but because of, I've had those, both of those experiences, I knew when my, my focus was off and I was finding my identity in it. And I knew I had to correct myself and get back and allow the Lord to work through those areas to, to make sure that, that it wasn't, you know, who I was or, or the main substance of who I was. I've never heard anybody articulate it that way. That was phenomenal. That, that was, I'm telling you, I don't know if you've ever done much with that whole identity identify, but you need to. Uh, yeah. That's, well, that's powerful. I've uh, never heard anybody else say that before. That's well, really good. Hey man, God's been good. And, and I tell you what, man, everything that we have in our lives, it's, it's because of him. That's you know? right. You know, I can look at my life and say, yeah, I worked hard because I did. I mean, I ate everything right. right. I counted my carbs. I counted my protein. I nutrient timed. I did everything down to a T because God says, whatever you do, work at it with all your hearts, right. working for the Lord, not for men. So, man, if you've given me this ability, I need to maximize it. But I think, you know, more than importantly, I know that looking back at my career, yeah, I worked hard at it. But, man, there's so many times where you can't even make up the story on how this, this all works. So <laughs> for me to take any type of pride or glory right. in it, everything that I have, and really for us as believers, everything that we have, whether you're a teacher or, or athlete or pastor or whatever it is that we're doing, man, God's gifted all of us uniquely in certain ways. And if we just take our giftings and try to honor and glorify him to the maximum capacity mm, to give him mm. the most praise and to give him the most glory and to give him the most attention, man, our lives will be worth it. And he'll do things that, man, we'll look back and say, man, how did that even happen? It doesn't make sense other than to say that it was all God. And that's really all I can say about it. <laughs> oh, I love that, man. That is so good. That is so good. You know, so it's so funny. Um, I think for six or seven seasons, I did the chapel the night before the final cut. So the final preseason game yeah. when they were going from, remember they, they do hundred to 75 to 53. Yep. That's the way it worked. So I was the 75 night for years. Oh, so man, I would do, and it, listen, <laughs> it was great for chapel attendance, man. It was unbelievable. Oh, yeah, yeah, everybody's all, there, right? all these guys are in <laughs> praise Jesus, man. I've always wanted to honor the Lord. Of course. When, when you go your first season, you go through training camp, yep. you're watching everything happen and you're watching guys that are drafted former draft picks getting cut. Mm -hmm. What did it feel like to get the call or to find out in the locker room, dude, I'm on the team. What yeah. was that experience like for you? You know, it's, it's great. You know, I mean, you know, have feeling like you're validated. I, I think, you know, because, you know, in college, you're kind of chosen at the start, but you're there for five years, high school. Mm -hmm. You're just kind of there. I mean, unless you're at a really big school, right. Yep. Like, man, you're in the NFL. It's like, look, we're going to pay you to do this. And we want you because we see something in you that can really provide a lot of value. So the hard work that you've done and put in and the blood and sweat and tears in those moments, when I can think back when I was in high school and my friends were going to the beach and I was running hills mm, by myself, mm. those lonely moments in, in, in quiet and in silence when all I can hear is my breath breathing. And having that internal drive when, when everybody else is having fun and, and I'm grinding, you know, to, to finally have it peak and culminate in those moments to feel validated and yeah. to say, man, the hard work, the foundation that you've laid has produced fruit. The seeds that you planted in your life, in your career, in your body, finally produced fruit six, seven, eight years later when you've just been watering, putting it in sun fertilizing, watering, fertilizing, you know, right. That's right. changing the dirt, you know, on and on and on. And, and a lot of times feel so monotonous. Yeah. 
Mm. And to finally see the fruit be produced and the fruit to be good fruit, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very rewarding. It's just great feeling. What would you tell a young athlete listening right now, high school athlete, college athlete, they're in the middle of baseball, they're in the middle of football or basketball or whatever, lacrosse, whatever sport they're playing. And they feel like they're where you were. They're yeah. doing the Hills. They're eating right. Friends are going out to party. They're staying back. Yep. What would you say to encourage them right now, Chris? Yeah, I would say this. Just because you work hard doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to have success. That's just me being honest. Okay. That's the first thing that I would say. But along with that, what I would say is, is that when you put work in and the intent of the work that you put in, uh, when you do it the right way, it will pay off in your life, maybe in, in sports and in, in athletic realms, but it will pay off in your life as a man, as a woman, whatever it is that you're doing, it will pay off and will pay dividends further than what you could ever expand or imagine. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say this, the intent with which you work is the most important part. For instance, if I go in and the coach says, okay, you come in here and you got, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, 10 reps of, you know, ladder drills, and then you go in and you run 10 reps of sprints, and then you come in, you do these box jumps. Okay. Probably the whole team could go in and do all those activities, all those reps, get them all done. Right. But it's the intent with which you complete those tasks is what's going to separate you because every baseball player is hitting batting practice. Every baseball player is taking ground balls. Every baseball taking is taking pot flies. Every football player is doing tackling drills. Every football player is catching and throwing, but it's the ones with the intent yep. with which they're doing those drills that are separating themselves from everybody else doing those things. That's what's going to make you a champion. That's what's going to make you great. That's what's going to propel you when you get into those levels where everybody's the same caliber of athlete. That's going to give you that little 0.1% difference that makes 100% of the difference. So that's what I would say for sure. And what's amazing is you've been around the greatest. Everybody sees what they do on Sundays, but what they don't see is what they do Monday to Saturday. I remember 100%. going to Flowery Branch early, early one morning and for camp to see all the guys. And there was a jugs gun throwing footballs, just throwing peas <laughs> out of there. And there's yep. somebody out there 45 minutes. Now, everybody knows who he is, who Leo Jones. Of course. But they just know him from Sunday. They that's don't know it. him from Tuesday morning at 7.30 a.m. at flight. And, and that's every team. Every team's got those guys, and yep. they do it over and over and over. It's a, it, it really is something to watch. It is. I mean, look at you. You talk to. Okay. I can think back. Okay. Uh, Frank Gore, 49 hours, hardest working guy on the team. Uh, J.J. Watt, college teammate of mine, played in the NFL. We trained together in the off seasons when we were in the NFL. One of the hardest working guys You'll ever see attention to detail. Unbelievable. Uh, Richard Sherman, one of the smartest football players I've ever played with. You know, we, you talk about Marshawn Lynch, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson. The guy is so detailed in walk through practice, cleats on mouthpiece in wristbands on the guy is going through every scenario in the two minute drill during walkthroughs before practice even starts, you know? So there's a reason why you talk about greatness yep. and why greatness is, is achieved because I guarantee you there's a lot of quarterbacks that can throw 60 yards like Russell Wilson, yep. everybody in the NFL. There's a lot of guys like JJ Watt that are as big and as strong and as fast, but it's those little things that they're doing constantly that are separating themselves. And on a daily basis over a long time, they the gap becomes great. That's so good, man. I was talking to a guy. I don't know if you've met chip Smith. He is uh, a runs a big facility here in Atlanta. That's all uh, tons of, He's he just got hired by the NFL Hall of Fame doing training up in Canton. Phenomenal guy, but he was in Erlacher's contract. Oh wow. And I asked him, I said, okay, so what separated Erlacher from everybody else? He <laughs> said, I could never find his threshold. Yep. Of pain. That's it. I could never find it. Everybody <laughs> else, cool. they would tap it. Yep. But that guy, I couldn't, you know, yep. and you you speak about those guys when they just keep grinding and they just keep pushing. You played on some great teams. Two of your teams went to went not only went to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl. Yep. What separates Chris those teams from other good teams you've played on? What was the magic 
that happened on those squads, one with the Seahawks, one with the Eagles. And I want to get into the Eagles piece of it here in a second with what God did on your team there. What separates those two teams from another good season or even a eight and eight year? What separates those? The love for each other. Having people be truly committed and investing in each other's careers and in their lives um, and, and, and with the team putting other people in front of themselves. You know, you talk about the level of athlete in the NFL. Every single team has guys that run four fours and they can run and jump and that are all Americans and Heisman trophy winners. It's the teams that are cohesive, Mm -hmm. that love each other, that sacrifice for each other, that are committed to each other because it's not if adversity will hit you, it's a matter (laughs) of when. Okay. So, so when times get hard and everybody's, going to reach those hard points, whether it's individually or in your team. We're talking about teams right now. When you hit those hard points of the team, everything stays together and it stays tight. There's no, there's no one wheel falls off and the rest of them are still going. There's not two guys that veer off. Everybody stays cohesive and tight and they continue to row in the same direction and then continue to go in the same direction. And when the circumstances externally change and when the adversities hit, internally nothing changes because there's substance to the team Mm. because guys are sacrificing. They have a love and a commitment that transcends their athletic ability. And that's what propels teams and makes them great. Where does that happen? Where does that cohesiveness and that love, where does it happen? It happens in the weight room. It happens on Friday night when you have your teammates over, it happens when your buddy's going through a hard time and you're showing them love. It happens at 1am when uh, you know, a guy's dealing with a tough family situation and you pick up their call. Uh, it happens, you know, when you're in o- OTAs, a, a spring training for us, right? When, when times are getting tough and you can show the other guy, hey, I'm not going to quit. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to mm-hmm. sacrifice for you. Um, it shows up when you're, you know, in the season, in the fourth quarter, when you have a lead and you will not let up against your opponent and you show your teammates that you're going to finish things to the end. It shows up when you're down 40 points at some point in the season and things are difficult and you play every single play like it's your last and your teammates are watching you and they say, that guy I'm going to follow. That person is who I want to be teammates with. And that person is the type of teammate that I want to be myself. And you give them something to strive for. That's how greatness is made. That's how great teams are made. And that's how great moments on championship caliber things happen. Dude, that is so good, man. You made me want to get out there and get uh, after I get it. Out there. The problem is, Mike, I only got one leg. It's like, it won't work. I got a that will not work for me. Oh, that's somewhere. so stinking good. You know, it's so crazy, Chris. You can, you know, and people, I've been so blessed to be able to be around it. You can feel it the minute you walk in a room. You can feel it. I remember... Dabo Sweeney, second year at Clemson. I did their chapel when they came through town. So yep. I drove downtown, met him down at the hotel on Friday night. Never, I knew who Dabo was. He's an assistant. He's another head coach. He was a nobody. Yep. I walked in that room that night and I watched a five foot, 10, six foot white guy yep. standing at the door, hugging every boy who walked through, yep. asking him, Are you all in? Yep. Coach, I'm all in. You know, I love you coach. I know you love me. I watched it. Now everybody knows the story. Now that wasn't, he was a nobody, right? But he built a culture that now everybody wants to be a part of. Yep. And, and you got to be on the inside of it. What does Pete Carroll do? I mean, he keeps, they just keep reinventing themselves. Yeah. What does he do as a head coach for all the coaches listening? Because mm-hmm. you've played for Pete Carroll, you've played for Brett uh, Bielema, yep. Andy Reid. You yep. you've been around some great ones. What do they do as coaches? You say as an athlete, they create space for us to be our best. What would you say? Uh, there's, there's a there's a clear cut um, vision on where they're going. Not mixing words not m- mixing the vision up with any other sort of uh, ideas is a clear cut understanding of the players, what's expected, what needs to be done, how to get it done and where we're going. Mm. And within that, there's going to be a lot of challenges, but the vision never changes. The, 
uh, expectations never change. And the one thing that Pete Carroll, specifically since you asked about him, that he does and that he continues to do is that he finds a way to utilize everybody's personality and skill set to the maximum. And within every great player, there's a competitive nature that dwells within them that he finds a way to stoke. And whatever it is that makes that player compete and have a competition get um, uh, uh, flamed, the, the, the fire flamed of that competition, he finds how each player needs to get coached or pushed or challenged um, to make that competitive nature at its highest. And I really am a big believer that when you have competition, healthy competition amongst teams against uh, rivals, whatever it is, it draws out the best in people. And if you're willing to coach and steer within that, uh, great things happen. Mm, That's so good. You you watch it and these, these guys may change hats Yep, and they just keep winning wherever they go. They're going to win because it's, it's something about them. You're, you're, your Super Bowl year with the Eagles is one for the ages. Mm-hmm. And that season was known as much for what you guys accomplished, but for what you overcame and then for what God was doing mm-hmm. in the locker room and in the chapel services on Saturday night and in the hotel rooms. Share a little bit about how important that faith that many, it wasn't just two or three of you, many of you lived out that season, how how that was such a big piece of that team getting to and winning the Super Bowl. Oh, it's huge. I mean, we had so many people uh, invested on a daily basis in their relationship with Christ. And I think the, the cool thing about it was, is that the whole mission of everybody on the team that, I don't, well, let me speak for the believers when I say yeah. everybody on the team is Having, I mean, being in, in those Bible studies and in those those uh, accountability times with those guys, the pureness of everybody's hearts, when you look at what everybody wanted to accomplish with the platform that we were having throughout that year, throughout that season, throughout that Super Bowl, everybody that was a believer on that team that was a Christian that called himself a Christ follower wanted to give God the maximum glory. And it was, hey, if we have a bunch of injuries and the season derails and we can you know, show you honor and glory through that. Well, Hey, so be it. You know, if you give us the ability to have a, uh, an unthinkable Super Bowl run and we win the Super Bowl and beat the Patriots and Tom Brady with the quarter, greatest quarterback of all time, we'll give you the honor and glory. So whatever the circumstance was, everybody's heart was aligned to just be a vessel, be a tool to give God the honor and glory. And it just so happened that the Lord just made a miraculous story, probably one that even Disney probably couldn't even write. No, you really couldn't. <laughs> you know? I mean, and though people will remember this one for, for forever because of the unusualness of it. But it's funny because God does things in the most unusual ways. Yeah. And he does things in a lot of ways, um, you know, to kind of show off a little bit and say, you know what? Yeah, you could maybe take some credit for this, but there's no way that you could really possibly say that this could be done any other way. And there's those moments in our lives or in our careers or on teams when sometimes he just does it that way. And that was really one of those years, given all the circumstances. You know, it's funny, Chris, I was reading up on you and of course knew of you through a mutual friend of ours, Brady Ewing and had followed your career in the NFL. And as I was reading, thinking about today, uh, almost every article I read, especially at your retirement talked about um, special teams, standout Mm -hmm. special teams, Maven Mm -hmm. special teams, uh, warrior you know everything was about yeah you play you play the defensive backfield as well but it kept talking about special teams Mm -hmm. special teams of all the positions that happen is the one that guys would go yeah i mean i'll do special teams but i really want to be known for leading the nfl and picks or whatever what made you so good at special teams what would you say yeah, I, I don't know. You know, that's a good question. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just, I, I found an area, it's it's like any team or any business, anybody out there that's maybe listening, you find an area that's neglected either on a team or in a business or in a, in, in a, in a realm of anything that you're doing and you dominate that niche and you dominate that area that's neglected. Right. And so when I first came into the NFL, I was, 
I was playing behind Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor, two Hall of Fame players, right? <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I said, and I thought to myself, well, I'm probably not going to beat these guys out anytime soon uh, for a starting role. <laughs> so if, if, if my role on the team, if I really want to be a team player, isn't to be a starter at, at defense, what can I do to add value to the team as a player that I could selflessly help with? And my role would have been special teams in that moment. So I thought to myself, okay, God, if you place me on this team and have me here for a reason, my role, given the circumstance, would be to become the best special teams player on my team. And that's really what I strive to do. And I found poured over film and players from 10, 15 years ago, all the best guys. I, I did research and did different things and I sought out different techniques and I saw their techniques and I, and I started implementing them for myself. And then I found ways to, um, you know, uh, make and, and kind of invent own my own new techniques, uh, you know, based on stuff that I learned or that I just over through experience, stuff like that. And so, you know, that's really kind of, you know, how it kind of started, but I really had to kind of look at myself internally and say, honestly, Mike, that, you know, my role on the team might not be the starting quarterback that, you know, is the guy doing all the media interviews or the face of the franchise, but man, my role is to maybe serve our team and, and, and what better role, you know, if you look at special teams, you know, if you go kick off to punt, you know, you're serving the defense really because they come out after every punt and after every successful kickoff or whatever, as long as there's not a fumble um, and the defense comes on the field. And really my role was to put the defense in the best position possible to have success for our team. And really every kickoff return and punt return that I went out on the field for was to serve our offense, to do my job, the best of the ability to put our offense on the shortest field possible to have them have the best success. And really it wasn't to maybe necessarily score all the, all the points or to do that, but it was basically just to, just to put them in the best position to have success. And, and I knew, you know, Hey, my role might not be one that's flashy or out there, but it's one that's important and one that's needed and however small or however big uh, the role is for myself or really for anybody out there listening really isn't the important part. The important part is, is the way that you fulfill your role mm -hmm. and the, uh, and the ability for you to um, complete the task. That is what true success and true value is in my opinion. And so, so often we as sports people or people in our world, we place values based on the significance that we think it brings to a team. Yep. I think we need to look at things and say, you know, what is the, what is the, um, what is my ability to complete this task correctly? That to me is the value that I always looked at and it just continued to just kind of roll from there. What, what I love about it is, and we've never met before today, but yeah. I knew of your faith story and knew of your walk with Christ. And to me, the most selfless position on, on the field is special teams. Sure. Most people don't remember who made the special teams tackle. Right. Most people don't remember who made the key block that sprung the, the sprung the guy to score. Yep. But yet that's what people remember about you was your selflessness and your, and your faith. You know, now you're on the other side of football. You're rehabbing, uh, get, getting healthy again. Yep. But you and Nick Foles have begun a podcast together. Right. And this Mission of Faith podcast and, yep. and what you're doing with Nick is Mission of Truth, right? Yes, right. Yep, you got it. Um, what you guys are doing together. Tell me your passion around starting this podcast with Nick. Well, you know, I mean, gosh, man, I've been so fortunate to meet so many great people throughout my career in the NFL. And Nick Foles has been a great buddy for a long time. And, you know, he's been a guy that, you know, we've, you know, obviously shared the highs and the lows together and, you know, shared, you know, a lot of, you know, intimate moments, you know, of things that we are, you know, having great successes with or great failures with or things we're working through. And, you know, we have these moments all the time where we'd get on the phone and we talk and, and we'd be like, man, you know what, man, we just feel like we need to share a lot of our experiences Cause man, maybe there's some people that can glean from some of this. And, you know, we've, we've come across a lot of people, you know, throughout our realms in the NFL that maybe we could man share their stories. And so when the whole COVID thing happened, you know, we were like, man, you know what, we should, we should really sit down. We have the time to do a podcast and really share our stories and share what God's done and, and share these moments when they're, they're hard or share the moments when they were great. Yeah. Um, kind of just share kind of the realness, um, of what it was. And that's why we kind of entitled it mission of truth. Cause it's like, 
you know, social media nowadays or what's going on. It's like, man, we don't even know what's up or what's down, right. what's in or what's right. out, what's true, what's not true, what media outlets saying what or why. And we're like, you know what, why don't we just have something that just keeps it real, you know, and just talk about the things that are good or talk about the things that are hard and share in those moments where people say, oh, Nick Foles, Super Bowl MVP and signed contracts and played all this time or Chris Maragos played and did this yeah. or whatever. You know, yeah, but there's a lot of hard moments in between that that we'd like to share about because at face value, people could see a lot of the good things. That's right. But man, let's talk about the things that were hard that got us to the good things that made us who we were. And and, and for people out there that maybe are discouraged thinking, man, uh, I see everybody around me on Instagram. Everybody looks like things are perfect. You That's know? right. But, but man, let's talk about real, the real life stuff um, that, that we're dealing with. And then more importantly, the God that wants to meet us in those places, in those hard moments, when we feel helpless, when we don't know where to trust, when we don't know who to turn to, when we don't know um, the things in life that are real and that are not, man, we have a God that's real, the God that wants to meet us there and a God that will be faithful when we have unfaithful things happening to us. And so that's really what we kind of wanted to do in the heart behind it. So. Well, dude, you guys are doing a great job. I mean, you've had John <laughs> Gordon, who we just absolutely love John Gordon. And yeah. you've had Tony Dungy and you had Randy Alcorn, who wrote the book on heaven, which is the treatise on heaven. It's the greatest book ever written on heaven. And you guys were asking him some great questions. And so we'll have a link in our show notes for people because you need, if you're listening to this and you say, man, I love athletics and I love knowing the story behind the story, you guys are crushing it. And what I love about it is, and you're bringing out the gospel piece of it. And man, you're doing, you're doing a really good job. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for your words. And it's been fun and, and gosh, man, it's been quite the experience, but it's, it's been positive for sure. Yeah. You're, you are doing an awesome job. You know, this past week, I had the privilege of doing my father-in-law's funeral and at his funeral, we had his, had his son speak and his, both his daughters, my wife shared a little something on audio and the other daughter shared something through her brother Mm -hmm. talking about their dad, talking yeah. about his wife of 58 years, talking about her husband. Mm -hmm. When when Chris's journey's done, mm -hmm. trophies are all there, yeah. all the things of the rings are put away. Mm -hmm. What do you want the people that were closest to you, yeah. your family, mm -hmm. and those players that remember you? What do you want them to say about Chris Maragos? Uh, that's a great question. You know, I think... I think the things that we acquire in our lives are just meant to lay down and, and to show the goodness of what God's done in our lives. And I truly, truly hope that at the end of my life, that I will literally be exhausted falling over the finish line per se of my life on my deathbed. And I'll be able to look back and say, you know what? Hopefully the people around me saw a man who stood in the gap, stood for, stood for what was right, was a truthful, honorable person, and most importantly, was unashamed of what God has done in his life. And somebody who was faithful to the end, somebody who was committed to the cause of Christ, and somebody who had in, in uh, a heavenly, uh, eternal perspective rather than a, he a heavenly perspective, and that stored up his treasures in heaven um, rather than here on earth, and somebody that was um, somebody that hopefully uh, pointed people to Christ and showed them the goodness of who God was in small glimpses of, of my fleshly sinfulness in my life. And, and that's really what I hope. Cause at the end of the day, you know what? No one's going to remember the football stuff. I mean, heck man, people barely remember my career now and I'm a couple of years now. Right. But the, the places that you can hopefully plant seeds in people's lives that can carry on into someone's life who can pour that into another one's life and into another generation that when I'm dead and gone, the hopefully the, the 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 seeds that I planted, um, you know, in people's lives from a spiritual perspective or from just a, a a serving and loving perspective that can continue to carry on and live on. That's how my life, when it's dead and gone, continues to live. And hopefully, people would know that that life was because of the life of Christ and and something that was of substance and that that truly had worth and that mattered. So that's really what I hope people think about me and that on my deathbed. You know, it would be, hey, you grinded and worked and you you did everything that you could and, and, and poured yourself out. And now you can go rest for eternity. That's that's really what I hope.
Good, good stuff. I loved sitting with Chris, hearing his stories, hearing his journey, hearing of God's faithfulness, but also hearing about the intentionality he lived with and played with while in the league, and he still lives with and plays with now that he's out of the league. Man, I'm thankful for men like Chris Maragos who have used their journey and used their place to teach us all lessons about life and leadership. I hope you'll follow him on Twitter. I hope you'll follow their podcast, Mission of Truth. Good, good stuff. Thank you so much, Chris Maragos. You were delightful, and it was so much fun to get to hear you and your story. Well, you know, part of this podcast is hearing stories. It's hearing journeys. You know, we, we use this phrase a lot at North Star, God never wastes our time and he never wastes our experiences, and he really doesn't. And so it is such a joy each month to sit down and hear people's stories. In our uh, iTunes, this rating and review came in. It said, Mike has a gift of asking real and personal questions that go deeper and draw meaningful answers. Thank you so much, Nick, for that. Man, when you guys leave ratings and reviews, it really does help us in this podcast world find our niche and find our place and help others find maybe the leadership that they're looking for. So today, maybe you can pause right here, go leave a rating and review, share it with a friend because it sure helps us a ton. Well, our next episode is going to be another great one. We're going to sit down with the leader of leaders, Brad Lominick. This will be Brad's second time on the show. I was listening to him do an episode with somebody else last year, and I heard Brad talking about leaders. In this next episode, we sit down and talk about the leaders that Brad says are the most influential ones in his journey and in our generation, and it is so good. So, so good. Once again, thanks for joining me today. I pray you go now, live out the faith that God's called you to in the space and the place he's put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 